Hey, good morning. Welcome to Victory Church. Let me hear you real quick. Come on, give me, some, give me, give me a little welcome. Uh, so good to have you here. My name is Troy. I get the privilege to pastor Victory Church. And I do want to just kind of reiterate a couple of things before we get into the message today. Um, as the video said, when it comes to connecting, there are multiple ways you can do that, but two of probably the easiest ways is through our connection card. And so if you're wanting to remain digital, you can do what that video said as far as texting goes. You can text VICTORY18, and then the number would be 31996. Uh, also, we have these connection cards that may have been handed to you. If you don't have one, we definitely have them in our welcome center when you walk out. And you can just fill those out. And here's kind of the purpose of it. Number one, it gives us some basic information about you so that we can connect with you. It also has opportunities for you to check boxes if maybe you wanted more information about being a new believer, how to join a dream team, water baptism, small groups. You can mark that. It also has a box if you just want to ask any question and you get that to us and we can be able to answer the questions and direct you in the way you need to go. Also, let me encourage you that when you turn these in, whether it be digital or whether it be paper, we actually have a special gift for you. So we have a really cool Victory Church mug that we We'd love to put in your hands. So as you're filling these out, you can either take this to the Welcome Center right out in the lobby, or you can walk up and show on your phone where you texted to connect, and we'll be able to get that gift to you. Also, uh, as, as you're here and as you're worshiping with us, whether you're online or in person, and you say, man, I really do love this church, and I'd love to give, and maybe you don't know how to give. As the video said, you can do it online. You can do it through text to give, but you can also just give it uh, in, in the old, in the, what, not natural, what's the word I'm looking for? In the organic way, right? In, in the old way, I guess you might say. And as you get ready to leave today, there'll be one of our auditorium hosts with a bucket. And so if you're one of those people that say, hey, I like to give through cash or check or whatever it might be, you can do it that way. So you can do it online, text to give, or through the bucket as you are leaving today. I always try to take a moment and just kind of encourage you on where your finances are going and, and what we're able to do with how God is blessing this church financially. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but I want to mention it again because today we're actually delivering them. But as we get ready for school to start back, so I think we're about a couple weeks away for most people with school starting back, we've always tried to kind of adopt the teachers here at Rock Springs Middle School and just do something nice for them. So we've done different things every year. And this year, obviously, with everything that's happened over the past 14, 15 months or so, we really want to encourage them as they're coming back into their new school year. So we made these shirts that say Difference Maker on them. And so they have the Rock Springs Middle School colors, and it says Difference Maker, and we got the sizes from the principal. And so we'll set those up today. So when the teachers come in this week to start prepping, they'll have a, a t-shirt specialized for them that reminds them that they are making a difference. And so I just want to thank you because it's because of your faithfulness that we're able to impact our communities in that way. So it's awesome. Last but not least, as you're leaving, you'll see something like this. It's just kind of an invite card for our new series that starts August 8th at the movies. If you're excited for at the movies, let me hear you real quick. All right, let me hear it. All right. This is going to be an amazing time. In case you're visiting with us and you say, what is that? Uh, every year we take about four weeks and we just focus our attention on a series that is a great series for you to invite your friends and your family to and get them to be able to come in. It's a blast. We have uh, themed music, whether it's Indiana Jones or Jaws or whatever going on in the lobby. We have popcorn with all these different seasonings, Coca-Cola, and you can bring your popcorn and Coke into service and enjoy it. And we have, you know, cool trailers of movies. And then what happens is I'll preach as we show different clips from certain movies, and we, we keep it very biblical, but it's just a certain, or, or it's, it's an absolute fun time together, and here's the coolest part, is it is a real easy time for you to invite your friends. I was at the bank on Friday dealing with some things, and I got to talking to two different guys that worked there, and we just made a great connection, cool guys, and I got to invite them to come, and then Darla and I are also working on some neighbor friend of ours, and so we're just hoping that people will come in and enjoy the fun atmosphere, but in that opportunity, give their heart to Jesus. Can I get amen? amen? So I want to encourage you as you're leaving today, grab some of these, grab two or three, grab 30, whatever it is that you might need so that you can pass them out and invite. I did share last week that there's a social media invite going out. There's um, also a mailer going out to, I think we're sending about 10,000 mailers out to the, the surrounding area. So as you're inviting people, they might, that same logo was on every invitation. So they might see it and go, hey, I just got that in the mail and I just saw that on Facebook. And it's just different ways for you to encourage and get people in the house so that they can have an opportunity to experience Jesus. You ready for the word? All right, if you got your Bible, your phones, whatever it is that you're looking at, turn to the book of Acts 
chapter 9, Acts chapter 9. Uh, we as a church have been going through, we went through the book of John, and then when we finished the book of John around Easter, we started the book of Acts. I actually thought we would move quicker through the book of Acts than we are, but every chapter seems to need one to two to three weeks to get through because there's just so much material, and we've talked a lot about the early church. We uh, finished chapter 8 last week. We're starting chapter 9 today. We will also be in chapter 9 next Sunday, and then we'll take our four-week break for at the movies, and then when we come back in September, we'll start with Acts chapter 10. And it's really going to take a huge turn because we're about to start really focusing on the Apostle Paul when it comes to the book of Acts, but we'll be introduced to him today. So Acts chapter 9, verse 1, I'll read about nine verses and then uh, begin to explain it. So here we go. Chapter 9, verse 1 says, Then Saul, Saul uh, from Tarsus, who's going to become Paul the Apostle, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So let me explain that real quick. Saul is a religious man. He does not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and so he's wanting to totally destroy the ministry of Jesus. At that time, Christians are not called Christians. That doesn't happen for a couple more chapters. They are called a part of the way. So if you follow Jesus, you are a part of the way. That was kind of your movement or your name of your church or how you want to say it. So what Paul did is he went to the authorities and he got the permission to bust into the house churches because that's where people, they had church in the synagogues, but they were meeting a lot in houses. And so he could bust into their house and arrest the men and women who were a part of the way and take them to Jerusalem so they could be tried and so on. So that's what was going on. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. So he's on his way to Damascus to do that. And on his journey, suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then Paul says, or Saul says, sorry, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then the Lord said to him, arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with Saul stood speechless because they heard a voice without seeing anyone. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no more. He was blind. But they led him by the hand, and they brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. I want to talk to you just for a moment this morning from the idea, the most important question you'll ever ask. Think about that for a second. The, the most important question you'll ever ask. No matter, depending on what age you are, that might range differently, but I kind of sat back for a second and I started thinking, I'm 36 years old, and what do I think that is? What, what do I think? What do you think? Just kind of dwell for a second on what you think the most important question that you'll ever ask is. Uh, some of us may say that that question is, will you marry me? right? That, that maybe that's the most important question we'll ever ask, because let's be honest, who you decide to marry has a huge impact on the rest of your life. How many of you have ever asked that question before? If you've asked that question before, raise your hand for a second. Let me just see, all right? If you've ever had to ask, will you marry me? Some people would say it's the question, what am I supposed to do with my life? Or, or what is my purpose, right? That's what some people think that the most important question is because once we find our purpose, we know what's going to happen in life and so on and so on. Some people think that it's how can I be a better person? That the most important question we'll ever ask is a self-evaluation question that will then make us act differently, treat people differently, and so on. Some people say that the most important question you'll ever ask is simply the question, why? <laughs> Why, and then whatever, right? We ask that question hundreds of times throughout our life, that we just think it's that question, that the question is simply, why? And a study recently revealed the top three questions that people ask when they're concerning God or Christianity or religion or talking to God. They gave the three top questions that they thought were the most important when it comes to, again, God or Christianity. One was, what does the future hold for me and my family? 
that if they could stand before God, they would say, what does the, what does the future hold for me and my family? Another question was, why is there suffering in the world? In the book of John, we actually preached on this. Uh, I think the title of the sermon was, why do bad things happen to good people? And it was just a great revelation, but that's a question that a lot of people ask. But the most frequent question, watch this, in this study, the most frequent question that people asked when it came to uh, Christianity or religion or talking to God, the question was this, does following Jesus really work? Does following Jesus, does, does this Christian thing does, does church or, or whatever, whatever term you're wanting to put there, does it really work? Like I've got all these issues going on in my life. I've got financial issues and family issues and relational issues and faith issues and problems and struggles. And does this Jesus thing really work? Now in Acts chapter 9, what we just saw was probably, if not the, certainly one of the greatest conversions to Christ to ever be recorded. Saul of Tarsus is not only a religious man, but he's very good at being religious. Later on, we'll read, I'm sure, about how, how Paul begins to say uh, who he is and how great he is and his accomplishments. He was great at being religious. And all of a sudden, he's going through his life being a religious man who is against the way, against Jesus, and then he has this moment and he converts to Christ. He goes from being... The, uh, the opposer of Jesus, or how, how I put it this way, he goes from being the number one opponent of Christ to being the number one proponent of Christ. There's just this incredible thing that happens in Acts chapter 9 that you and I can't afford to overlook. There is this man that does not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and he's living his own life. He's the antagonist in this story when it comes to Christ. And he has an interaction with Jesus, and something happens, and he changes his entire life, and now he is the protagonist in the story with Jesus Christ. It is the greatest thing that we can look at when it comes to simple conversion, when it comes to you and I being about our life and then choosing to follow Jesus and our life changing. Atheist Frank Morrison he actually set out to destroy Christianity. He didn't believe in Christianity. He wanted to destroy it. And so he said, in order to destroy Christianity, watch this. He said, I have to disprove two things. In order to destroy Christianity, I have to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is kind of obvious, right? That's what most people go after. But what I thought was interesting is that Frank said, not only do I have to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I have to disprove the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. I have to disprove that somebody can be so passionate about one area or one direction of their life and that they can, be, they can interact with Jesus Christ and choose to completely change. I have to disprove that. Well, as Frank continued to try, as you can assume, uh, the more he tried to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the more it proved to be true. The more he tried to disprove the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, the more it proved to be true. And eventually, Frank gave his heart to Christ, and he was converted as well. But as we look at Acts chapter 9, the fact that so many people are asking this question of, does following Jesus work? It made me wonder if maybe we're asking the question wrong. We're not asking the wrong question, per se. We're asking the right question, but we're asking it wrong. So watch this. Instead of asking, does following Jesus really work? Maybe what we should start asking is, how does following Jesus really work? All right? So instead of asking, hey, does, does, does this Jesus thing work? Instead of that being our leading question, if we're not asking it, I guarantee you we probably know somebody who is. But instead of asking the generic question of does this Jesus thing work, maybe we should ask it in a different way and ask this, hey, how does this Jesus thing work? How does it, what does it look like? How do I follow Jesus? It's not just attending church. It's not just following your parents' faith. There has to be something to it. What happened to Saul? 
to make him change everything and convert to Christ. And why isn't it, watch this, why isn't it happening that way today? Have you ever wondered that? How could people be interacting with Jesus Christ and not changing the way that we see Saul change? Is it possible that we're so worried about if Jesus works that we've never stopped to ask, how does following Jesus work? Now, here's where we get lucky, is in Acts chapter 9, we see things right off the bat through, that we're going to see this over the next 18 chapters, but we see right off the bat three things that happened to Saul that will help you leave today being more confident about what it looks like to follow Jesus. And number one is this, following Jesus is sudden. Following Jesus is sudden, all right? Let's look back at Acts chapter 9. Let me show you where I'm getting this. In verse 3, it says, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. This is Saul, soon to be Paul. And suddenly, everybody say suddenly. Suddenly, a light shone around him from heaven. So, so Saul is on his journey, okay? Saul is making his way to Damascus. Saul did not wake up that morning with the plan of converting to Jesus Christ. That was not his plan. He didn't wake up hoping that he would go to church and get saved and all of a sudden be a better person. Saul woke up and went about his daily life. Saul had a plan of what that day was going to look like. He was headed to Damascus to arrest people that followed Jesus. He had a whole plan, and then Jesus interrupts his plan. Suddenly, Paul is, or Saul is going about his business, and suddenly, Jesus interrupts and says, hey, you need to start following me. There's something inside of us that wants to surrender to Jesus, watch this, on our schedule. Am I right? Like we want to surrender to Christ, but we want to do it on our time. Like, like uh, okay, I'll, I'll do this Jesus thing, but I just need to get my ducks in a row first, Right? Like, like I'll, do, I'll be a Christian, I'll follow Jesus, but can I just sow a couple of wild oats first? You know what I mean? I remember that saying, sowing my wild oats. Uh, I, I'll do this Jesus thing, but I just need to get my relationships figured out first. Let me, let me figure out my relationships. Let me get my finances under control. Let, let me get where it's on my schedule. When Darla and I got married, something she had to learn about me, I'm such a processor, I'm such a planner. Literally, I have this entire next week planned out to the time, to the minute. And so she would come to me with an idea, and the idea would like mess me up at first. And I'd be all upset about it. And I remember having to tell her like, hey, let me process it. Let me put it into my schedule, and then I can deal with it. And I think a lot of us, this is what we want with Jesus, we're all cool with Jesus coming in and following Christ, but we kind of want him to do it on our schedule. Like, I got some stuff planned. I got this relationship. I got some dreams and some ideas. There's some stuff I'm wanting to do with my money. There I go. And so as long as I can get that figured out, Jesus, then I'll surrender to you. But Jesus doesn't consider our convenience before he calls us to follow him. Please hear that. Jesus will never consider your convenience before he issues a call for you to follow him. If you think about it, all of the real serious decisions in your life, you were never really ready for. Let me ask you like this. When, when, when you got married, those of you that are married, when you got married, there was probably a moment, especially the men, there was probably a moment where somebody before the wedding asked you, are you ready? You remember that? Are, are you ready? Whenever I officiate a wedding, I always try to have that conversation with the groom right before about to go out. I'm just, just to put all the nerves back on him, right? Like, are you ready? Are you ready? And of course you're not ready. I mean, you're, you're, you'll never be ready. Two individuals who have lived their entire life focused on themselves, now all of a sudden deciding to die to self and be married, you're never ready for that. When I told my dad, I, I lived with my dad by myself for 10 years, 11 to 21 or so, and when, when I knew I was going to propose to Darla, Darla had made it very clear that she didn't want to be engaged for longer than six months. So I knew that whenever I proposed to her, we were going to be married within, at the most, six months. So I remember going to my dad, 
At the time I lived with him, I had, I had my own job and everything. I, had, I was paying my car note and my cell phone bill, but I wasn't paying rent. I wasn't paying electricity. I wasn't paying for a lot of food. You know, it was, it was my dad. It was just me and him. He was taking care of me. And so I went to him to let him know that, hey, uh, I'm, I'm going to propose to Darla, and so that means within about six months we'll be married and I'll move out, and da da da, da. And my dad looked right at me. I'd never heard of any of these plans. He looked right at me. He said, okay, cool. I'm moving to Panama City, Florida. And I was like, what? Like, you didn't even, you're just going, I mean, you're going to try to outdo me, right? Like, I'm getting engaged. You're moving to Florida. Like, what's happening? And he said, well, here's the deal. And this was wisdom. He said, you're going to get married and you're going to go do your life with Darla. And I'm just going to be sitting here alone. I don't want to do that. I want to go live. And I was like, great. And he was like, but here's the bad news. And I was like, what's that? He's like, I'll leave next week. I was like, time out. Like, you know, what's happening? And he says, so yeah, you're going to take over the apartment payment. You're going to take over electricity. And like, it was just one of those moments where I was like, I'm not ready. Like, I want to get engaged, but let's be honest. I'm not ready. Like, I, I, want, to, I want to move there. I want, to, I, want to, I want to go in that direction, but I'd like to go at my speed. You know what I mean? Like, I'd like to, like, can I just take over the electricity? And, and then, you know, then can I be responsible for my dinner? Like, can we do this at my rate? And then I remember when Darla wanted to start talking about having kids. And she came to me and she's like, are you ready? And I'm like, no, like I'll, I, I'll be ready at like 45, 50, you know what I mean? Like I'm not, no, that, unless we can have an 18-year-old, you know what I mean? Like if we can birth them out at 18, then yeah, I'm ready because then they can start cutting the grass and paying towards stuff. But I remember talking to a friend of mine and he said to me, he said, when are you ever going to be ready? And I was like, you know, you're right. Like you're, you're never gonna have enough money. You're never gonna feel like you have enough time like, you're never going to feel like you're ready. And that's how it is with every big decision in our life. Like, you're never really going to feel ready. And that's the same thing when it comes to abandoning everything and following Jesus Christ. You're never going to feel ready. You know what I mean? Like, Jesus doesn't wait till you're ready because you would want to do it at your speed. You would want to wait till you're comfortable and the problem is that Jesus wants to do something in your life right now. He wants to start changing you right now. And he does not have the time for you to wait and be ready. He comes in suddenly. Jesus does not consider our convenience before he calls us to follow him. Matter of fact, 13 times in the Gospels, 13 times, Jesus says to somebody, follow me. He gives the invitation to follow him. And never once, not one time, does he stop to check their calendar before he gives their invitation. Never once does he walk up and go, hey, Peter, I really want you to follow me, but hey, real quick, check, just see what you got going on. Just, you know, check your palm. Remember when palm pilots were a thing, right? Check your palm pilot real quick. Check your eye calendar. Check, check your paper, whatever. Just see what's going on. See if you're good. Well, matter of fact, when he, when he walked up on Peter and Andrew and told them to follow him, Peter and Andrew were in the middle of fishing. They were in the middle of fishing. And Jesus walked up and said, hey, you two, let's go. Could you imagine if you were on some kind of trip and you were fishing Getting away, how many of you like to fish? Anybody here like to fish? It's kind of like a getaway thing, all right? You, you mentioned, I was, I was talking to my friend James today, and he went on this trip where you look for shark teeth. It was like on a beach, and he looks for shark teeth, and he was talking about how he was just chilling on the beach and how amazing it was, and he had just a couple of days of a vacation. He's a hard worker. And I was like, can you imagine Jesus walking up to James and being like, James, my James, not James in the Bible, uh, walking up to James and being like, hey, let's go. And James is like, hey, hold on, bro. <laughs> like, I'm cool. I'm, I'll follow you but can I just enjoy this beach for a little bit longer? Can we just fish a little bit longer? When Jesus called Matthew the tax collector, he called him to follow him at work. What if Jesus showed up to your job Monday and was like, hey, let's go. You gotta follow me. And you're like, well, hold on. I just clocked in. Like, I gotta go clock out. I gotta talk to my boss because if I just leave right now, I might not get paid. And Jesus is like, nobody cares about all that. Let's go. There's one time in the Bible where Jesus invited a man to follow him in the middle of that man planning his dad's funeral. Jesus walked up and said, let's go. And the man said, hold on, hold on. Because back then, funerals and weddings were weeks long. He 
said, hold on, hold on. I, my, my dad died and I'm in the process. Can I, can I just bury my dad? Can I go through the burial process, the funeral process of my dad? And Jesus says, no, let the dead bury the dead. Jesus says, let's go. Let's go. Never once did he check their calendars. Jesus is not going to check your calendar to see if you're ready to follow him. He's going to call you suddenly. And you have to be willing to abandon all that you want and desire and follow him trusting the Bible that he will give you the desires of your heart. We are not, listen to this, we are not to wait until we feel like we have our life figured out to accept the call to follow Jesus. But instead, we are to follow Jesus and let him work on us during the journey. Following Jesus is sudden. For those of you that are in here and you're a Jesus follower, I think you would agree with me and say that that moment when Christ called you, that moment of conversion, that moment of where Jesus gripped your heart was sudden. It was sudden. You didn't know. You didn't show up that day knowing it was going to be a life-changing day. It happened. And if you're in this place and you don't follow Jesus, today is that day for you. It's sudden. You didn't show up knowing your entire life was going to change, but it's changed because following Jesus is sudden. Number two, following Jesus is serious. So it's sudden, quick. Jesus' call is quick. Second, it's serious. Verse four says that Paul fell to the ground. It says, then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The action of Saul falling, theologians say he fell off of a horse or a donkey. The action of him falling was an action, of, it was a reaction to, to the fear, to, to the excitement, to the, to the uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Just to the loud voice, to, to, to the whoa, right? And in that whole moment of when somebody kind of, boo, gets you and they, you know, oh, and you fall back, right? He fell to the ground. There was a serious moment for Paul. When Paul realized that he's talking to Jesus, when there's this revelation moment where Paul realizes that he's talking to Jesus, the Bible says that he begins to tremble and that he was astonished. He trembles, he fell to the ground, and when he goes, who is it? It's Jesus. He trembles and he's astonished because, listen to me, he is in awe of Christ. He trembles because he's in awe, A-W-E, in awe of Jesus. You ever had a moment where something was so amazing that you were in such awe that it brought you to a place of astonishment and maybe even trembling? Jesus may be our homie, but we can't forget that he is holy. He's our friend, but he's also divine. He's likable. He loves you, but he's also righteous. We have to understand, listen, Jesus can be liked, but he also needs to be revered. In the book of John, I preached a sermon called Jesus is my homeboy. And I talked about how we've gotten to a place where we've made Jesus so relatable that we've forgotten that he should be revered. Following Jesus is serious. We're not just playing church, folks. This is serious stuff. This has to do with your soul and eternity. But not only that, it's the idea that the Savior of the world calls you friend. That God, holy, holy, holy is he. That God desires to have relationship with us. There's a moment where we have to understand that to truly follow Jesus, we need to be back in a moment where we are reverent of his presence, honor and respect him. When we were youth pastors, at the end of every school year, we would take the seniors to Six Flags St. Louis um, to have kind of a senior trip. And Scout has actually been as a senior, and then he also went as a leader, as a sponsor. And so one time I was hanging out with him, we were on the trip, and we kept walking by this ride. And this ride, you, you, you'll be familiar with this ride, it's a swing. And I, I'm pretty sure it's a kid's ride, but it's kind of got like this circle at the top, and these chains come down, and there's swings all around it. You know what I'm talking about? And as it speeds up, the, the swings come out a little bit, and the kids are like, wee, 
you know, as they go around. So, so we're doing all the big rides, you know, we're dropping and dying and throwing up and all this kind of stuff. And we walk past this ride and Scout goes, man, I want to ride that. I thought he was joking, right? If you know Scott, he's 100 feet tall, right? So I'm like, this is, what is what's the point of this? And I'm, he's like, no, I really want to ride it. And I'm like, Scout, that's a kid's ride. Like, we're not kids. We're not getting on that ride. That's a sissy ride. And he goes, no, it'd be fun. We should ride it. So anyway, we do the whole day at the park. We're getting ready to leave. We pass that ride again. And Scott's like, come on, let's do it. And I was like, fine, whatever. Let's get on this sissy kid's ride. So we go into the ride and we get on it and there is literally a chain. I'm talking about like the kind of chains that used to come on kids' handcuffs. You know what I'm talking about? Where if you just pulled hard, they break and you just looped it in front of you. And I'm like, Scout, this shows you. I'm like, this is evidence because we got on that ride and they strapped us six times and put cushions on us and earmuffs and wrapped us in like, you know, belts and all uh, so we wouldn't fall out. This is a chain. It's evidence that this ride is going to be terrible. And he's like, I think it's going to be fun. I was like, whatever. So the ride starts. And I'm like, see, man, see how terrible. I'm looking. There's kids all on the ride. I'm like, this is terrible. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, this ride speeds up. And all of a sudden, I am parallel to the ground, y'all. I'm talking like shoulder to the ground. I'm looking at this because we're beside each other, me and Scout, and I'm scared to death. I'm like, Scott, I'm going to die. Why would they only give me this little chain? Like, where's my wrap and my cushion and my earmuffs? Like, I'm scared. He's dying laughing at me. I'm so scared. I am praying to God on this ride. I'm like, God, if you'll just get me off, I promise I'll never get on it again. Like, if you'll just get me off. It's a kid's swing ride, guys. And I was scared out of my mind. I could not, when I got off that ride, I was saying things that, you know, aren't even in the Bible. I'm like, you know, this is just, don't ever put me on this ride again. But it made me think about it because I started off with zero respect for that ride. And when I got off on it, I respected that ride. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I was never, like, I, you, you are the man. You're, you're the man. You're awesome, ride. And I was just thinking, to follow Jesus means to be in awe of Jesus, When's the last time we stood in awe of his holiness? You know what I mean? Like, when's the last time we, we, we didn't think about who was in the room? When's the last time we didn't think about who was around us? When's the last time we literally just took a moment and was in awe of his holiness? When's the last time we hit our knees and just wept, cried? What happened to honoring and respecting the fact that he is God. Paul sat down to write to the church of Philippi, chapter two, verse 12, and he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. When when Paul converted to Christ, he was in awe of God so much that he was trembling and astonished. So as the pastor of Philippi, he said, listen, as you're going through your relationship with God, do it with fear and trembling. And we hear that and we think what Paul's telling us is to be afraid of God. Boo, afraid of God. That's not what Paul's saying. What he's saying, listen to this, it's not to have an unhealthy fear of God, but to have an awe-filled reverence of God. He's saying it's not the trembling of a guilty sinner, but the joyful trembling of an encounter with the glory of God. A joyful trembling. I don't know how many of you have told this story before, but I'm a, I'm a massive fan of Penny Hardaway. He's a basketball player born in Memphis, uh, played for Orlando Magic, and now he coaches the Tigers back in Memphis. And I was, I'm a huge fan. And I got to meet him a couple times, but the very first time I met him, he was in a golf tournament called, uh, it was St. Jude's Classic in Memphis. And there's this thing called the Pro-Am, where they, they put a pro golfer with an amateur golfer. And, you know, people come out, it's just a fundraising type thing. And me and a buddy of mine, we were following him around as he golfed. And we got to this place where, where we're walking by this rope, and he's, he's from here past the production table. And this, there's this rope stopping me, and I just went, Penny! And I had like an old Orlando Magic jersey. And I remember he stopped. 
And he looked at me. Now, he, like I said, he was a long distance away, and he was in the middle of going to his next hit. And I, so I just wanted him to see me. I was just like, hey. And he stopped, and he started walking towards me. And I remember freaking out. Like, I mean, I was probably like 20-something years old, right? I'm not a kid. And I'm like shaking. And my buddy was with me. His name was Michael. And Penny came over, and he signed my jersey, and Michael's taking pictures of it. And then Penny walked away, and he was like, dude, you were shaking like a little girl. I don't really know how that ever came to be. I don't see a little girl shaking all the time. But, but my point was that I, w- I was just in such awe of him being there that I didn't know how to control myself. And this is what Paul's talking about, being in such awe of God. You see what I mean? Like, like we have to return to that. At some point, he became so relatable that he's no longer reverent. And he's holy. He's holy. So as much as it is sudden for you, it also has to be serious for you. And then third, following Jesus is living in surrender. Following Jesus is sudden, quick. He doesn't check your schedule. Following Jesus is serious. We've got to get back to being in awe of the presence of God. And following Jesus is all about a life that is surrendered. Back to Acts 9, verse 8. It says, Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand, and they brought him into Damascus. Paul's eyes were opened, but he can't see. His eyes are opened, but he's blind. This is what it's like to follow Jesus Christ. You've been converted. Your eyes have been opened, but you're still blind. So what you need to do is you have to surrender yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to lead. Conversion, your eyes are open, but you don't know where to go. Don't know how to follow Jesus. So the Holy Spirit has to lead. Following Jesus is all about surrendering our life to him. He becomes the ruler of our life. Watch this. We can't follow Jesus and lead him at the same time. The Bible said it's hard when you kick at the goads. Remember that verse we read? A goad is a stick with a very sharp end. And farmers would use it. And what they would do is when they were directing ox, if the ox started to get oxen, started to get off of their path, they would just give them a little poke. Just a little poke, letting you know, nope, you don't need to go right, you need to go left. It it wasn't extremely painful. Now, I'm not an ox, so I don't know exactly how painful it was. But they never broke skin. It was just letting them know. Like, just a little like, hey, just letting you know. Hey, just letting you know. You're going the wrong way. So anytime the ox was trying to do its own thing, that farmer would just let them, boom, just letting you know. You need to go back. But here's what would happen, is a lot of times the ox would get so angry because he wanted to go right instead of going left that he would kick back at the goad, kick back. And when he kicked, it would cause that sharp end to go in deeper. And that would actually puncture the skin and cause more pain than they had to experience. That's what he's talking about. Watch this. When we surrender to Jesus, there are moments where we're going to feel a little poke because we want to go right, but we're supposed to go left. There's a little poke. But when we kick back against God, when we refuse his path and we want to go our way, we end up experiencing more pain than we have to. We end up going through way more tragedy and heartbreak and tears because we're kicking back at the presence of God. We're kicking back at the path that God wants us to take. He's saying, if you'll just surrender your life to me, if you'll surrender your life, then you won't have to experience all the things that your friends experience and your parents experience. But when we want to fight it and we push against it, we go through things that we didn't have to go through. Now, the grace of God is to always bring you back but you put yourself in positions that you didn't have to go through to begin with. Ever been there? You ever been in the middle of something and you went, man, I didn't have to be here, but I made a decision that I shouldn't have made and now it's the consequence of that decision and I didn't even have to go through this. When I first got saved, Jeff, I was learning Christian music I was an Eminem fan, so I was trying to learn. There was really no Christian uh, comparison to Eminem at the time. Shout out, NF. But I was trying to figure out music. And 
A lot of times at our church, they play these hymns. Hymns, H-Y-M-N. It's kind of these old-fashioned songs. And there was this one. I'll never forget the chorus. I sing it a lot. It's called, I Surrender All. Do you know that? Give, give me the chorus of it. Just, just the chorus of it. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. It's beautiful, isn't it? funny I was thinking about that and I was like I, I remember the chorus but I couldn't remember the lyrics so I looked them up and after that it says that a couple of times I surrender all all to thee my blessed savior and then it goes on to say all to Jesus I surrender same statement words ran, uh, rearranged a little bit now watch this all to him I freely give for I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. It's a great song to sing, but it's really hard to do, right? Yeah. I surrender all, all freely I give to you. Our best life, the life with the least pain, the most joy, the truest Christian life, is a surrendered life, a life that is completely surrendered to Christ. Christian author Bruce Larson did a season of counseling. He said when he did counseling, he had a New York City apartment, or sorry, New York City office. And he said often he would meet with people who were struggling with the idea of surrendering their life to Jesus. He said they were normally okay with surrendering about 80%, but there was always a percent that they didn't want to give to Christ. And he said we would sit there and we would talk and go back and forth and back and forth. We wouldn't make a lot of progress. He said, so one day I had this idea, and he said, ever since that day, I've done it every time I've met with somebody. He said, I stood up out of my seat, and I said, hey, come take a walk with me. He said, we walked out of my office. We walked onto the streets in New York City on Fifth Avenue, and he said, we walked in front of the RCA building. In front of the RCA building was a statue called Atlas. And it was a man holding this massive globe-shaped, circle-shaped, representing the world. And he's holding it on his shoulders. You may be familiar with the statue. And he said, they walked up close to it, and you could see the pain and the struggle in his biceps and the veins in his face as he's trying to hold up this massive earth. And he said he would sit there and look at the statue and talk to the people about what it's like trying to control your life, trying to fix all of your problems, trying to figure everything out on your own. And he said after we stood there for a second, we'd walk across the street, walk across Fifth Avenue to the other side to St. Patrick's Cathedral. And he said right in front of them was a statue of a young boy Jesus, about 10 years old. And he's standing there, and in his hands is the world the size of about an apple. And he would say, which one do you prefer? The guy over there who's struggling, breathing hard, sweating in anguish, trying to hold it all up on his own? Or surrendering it to Jesus who holds it in the palm of his hand? Which do you prefer? I don't know why we continue to try to hold it up and kick against the goats. And Jesus says, listen, if you want following Jesus to work, then here's how it works. You surrender it to him. And the surrender that Christ calls you to is sudden. It's right now. It's today. He won't wait for you to figure that out. It's right now. It's today. Your healing's today. Your freedom's today. But you got to be willing to surrender to him and understand that it's serious. So for every person that's saying, does this following Jesus thing work? I tell you, yes, and I'm a testimony of it working. But I was first introduced to Jesus at 18 years old. I'm 36. That's 18 years. And what I wish someone would have told me 18 years ago is this is how following Jesus works. 
Troy Powell, it's sudden. God's not going to wait till you're ready. It's serious. It's not just a church thing. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's surrender. And you got to give it all. I started off the sermon by saying, what's the most important question you'll ever ask? And Miss Avon, I'm going to go off my notes for a second, so don't even worry about any more slides. Spoiler alert, I kind of tricked you. Because it's not just one most important question you'll ever ask. There's two. There's two. Because whether you're in here today and you're, try, you're saved and you're trying to figure out how to follow Jesus, or whether you're in here today and you've never given your heart to Christ and you're trying to figure out what salvation's about, these two questions are still the two most important questions both of you will ever ask. And Saul asked it in Acts chapter 9. Question number one is this, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? This is the question that pulls you to the Bible. This is the question that brings you to church. This is the question that draws you to prayer. This is the question where you are discovering who Jesus is. And watch this. Just as I look around, Joe, the answer to the question, who are you, Lord, is different to you than it is to you, Andrea. Because of your age, because of the season of life you're in, because of what you're going through, God is omnipresent. He's all things. So what you're learning about God today and who he is might not be something you learn for 10 more years. But you're learning today about God what you need. And you're learning today about what you need. But only if we ask, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? People might say to you, I thought the most important question was going to be, uh, Jesus, will you come into my heart? You're talking about the act of salvation. I'm talking about living a life with God. Waking up every day going, who are you? Reveal yourself to me. Who are you today? Who are you today in my marriage? Who are you today in, in my parenting skills? Who are you today in my finances? Who are you in my problem life? Who are you in my sickness? Who are you in my dreams? Who are you, Lord? And that question draws you to the Bible because you have to answer that question. So you read your Bible and you pray and you go to church and you find out who God is. And the second question is this. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Saul said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus. God sent Moses. Moses said, who do I tell them you are? He said, tell them I'm, I'm the, the I am. The I am means he's whatever you need. I'm Jesus. Okay, well, now that I know who you are, what do you want me to do for you? Here's what you do for me. That's the question that draws you into fellowship with other believers. That's the question that draws you into a place where you start to use your gifts and your talents to glorify the kingdom of God. If you will ask those two questions, you will learn personally that following Jesus does work. So I challenge you. If you got pen and paper, write those questions down. If you got your phone, type them in your phone. And I want you to start every morning off. Every morning. Ask those two questions. Who are you, Lord? Who are you today? And what do you want me to do? That's how following Jesus works. Who are you? What do you want me to do? If you do those things and you tell people and encourage people to do those things, you will never again wonder if following Jesus works. Amen? Father, we thank you right now for your word that is so on time so evident in our life, so practical, so practical. I pray for right, right now for every believer that's in this room that you would challenge them to start asking those two questions every day. Maybe they journal about it. Maybe they talk to their family about it. But Father, right now, those two questions, who are you, Lord? 
what do you want me to do? I pray for every person that's in here that's never accepted you as their Savior. They never followed you, Lord. And they're like that Atlas statue and they're holding their entire world on their shoulders and they're exhausted and they're tired and they keep hearing people say about this Jesus thing and they're wondering, does following Jesus really work? And their first step is just surrender. It's just surrender. Jeff, get ready, man. I want you to lead us and I surrender all in a moment. Just for a moment. Would, you, would everybody stand with me real quick? Just stand. I'm going to say something and then I'm going to pray and walk off and let you have a moment of worship. But if you're in this place and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you're about to have that opportunity. You're about to have that opportunity. But I want to encourage you to do me a favor. If you came in and you got one of those connection cards, there's also some out in the lobby if you don't have one. If, if you choose today to do that, if you choose to surrender your life to Jesus, I'm asking you to fill that card out, and here's why. I'm asking you to fill it out because I'd love to talk to you personally and be able to help you in the process. Because what our culture today calls surrender is not what Christ calls surrender. But I'm telling you, there's freedom in it. I'll just, I'll just do a quick test. If you're in here and you would say you've surrendered your life to Jesus and it was the best thing you ever did, put both hands up in the air for me real quick. If you just say it's the best thing you've ever done. It's the best thing you've ever done. Come on. If, if, if what I'm preaching isn't enough for you, now you're seeing it right. Keep your hands up. I know it's all right. Now you're seeing it right in front of you. These are people who are saying, I, I used to ask the same question. Does Jesus, does following Jesus work? But then I surrendered my life to him and I found out, yes, it does. It does. So come on, let's just begin to worship. Let's just begin to pray. Come on, if there's somebody in this place and you don't know Jesus, surrender your life today. Surrender your life. What you are holding on your shoulders, he holds in his hands. For every person who believes, be strengthened in your faith this morning. Begin to ask, who are you, Lord, and what can I do for you? Jeff, lead us into surrender. Hallelujah. and true.